Good morning. And happy Mother's Day to all of you out there who are moms. And um, I just wanted to say that, you know, my mom was, um, while here on earth, a very special lady uh, to me, as you guys know, because you you got to know her some. And I just am so thankful to know that my mom is with the Lord. And I know at the same time, while I can rejoice, sometimes... You know, Mother's Days, Father's Days, they're, they're difficult for people, and I understand that. So if that's where you sit, you know, we pray for you today as well. We will. Uh, I've never given an 87-year-old a high five until Friday. The Bible tells us we're to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And, you know, there's, there are times uh, that you have in your life you know, where you get some medical news that's tough to hear. And uh, so, so we all understand that that happens. Uh, one of our members, Billy Nellums, um, was in the hospital. I went to see her Friday. And they were fearful that she um, may have cancer. Uh, when I showed up on Friday, I walked in the room. I came around to the side of her bed, and she put her hand up like that. And I didn't know what she was doing. And she's kind of pushing it forward, and I said, like that? She said, yeah, that's right. She said, the Lord answered my prayers. She said, I don't have cancer, and i come to find out it's scar tissue that they had seen there and instead of cancer. And You know, it's great to be able to rejoice. I understand the other side of it. I get that. But I'm thankful that we get to rejoice at times, and we don't always understand the whys, do we? But we can trust the Lord. And uh, Billy's 87 years old, and she said, well, Thad, maybe I have another 13 years or so on this earth. I don't know about that part. That's up to the Lord. But it's, it's great to rejoice, uh, isn't it? And I'm thankful this morning that the Lord has answered prayer in Billy's life. And we pray for those in the congregation that are hurting, because there are people that are hurting uh, today and, uh, and have been. So we want to pray for them, and we will in just a moment. Wanted to uh, thank um, Jessica Gilbert and uh, Holly Nichols, uh, and I know I saw Seth helping as well. And Little Mercy was out helping, putting together that little area out in the out in the, uh, the foyer for you guys to take pictures uh, today. And I don't guess you have to be a mom to sit down there and take a picture. So whoever wants to take pictures, that's great. But we don't want to, you know. Um, look over the fact that these guys spend a lot of time doing that so you guys can enjoy that and we really, really appreciate um, their efforts. This morning I wanted to read just two verses of scripture um, to begin our service and found in the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs in, in verse 8 and 9. We know the Bible tells us that we are to uh, honor our father and our mother and um, I pray I did that while my mom was on earth. Um, but I like the way that this reads, and I'd like you to just stand as we read this um, together this morning. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Now that word there in the Hebrew means correction, doctrine. It can mean rebuke. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. In the Hebrew, that word is law. <laughs> I found that funny when I was reading it. 
Do not forsake your mother's law. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this morning um, in preparation for today was about all the children that are in the room. And um, I don't know if you have thought this through, children, but your mother and your father on earth will always be your mother and father on earth. And, you know, you look forward to the day when you say, see you later to mom and dad, and you go off and you try to, you know, venture out on your own. One of the things that's going to happen to you kids is you're going to realize, hopefully realize, because you were brought up in a Christian home, how blessed you were to be under the instruction of your mother. So I would just encourage you to think about that, young people, because I don't think I fully appreciated the instruction of my parents, both of them, until years later. But I'm thankful for the wisdom that God gave them as they brought me up. So just kind of an encouragement to all you children that even though you may be out of the house and putting your hands together and rejoicing over your independence, um, the reality is your mom and dad are still there. And they have wisdom for you that you need to listen to. All right? Let's uh, pray together. Father, this morning we are grateful that you are our Father. You're a loving Father. Um, You accept us where we are. And, um, Lord, you correct us when we need correcting. Father, you um, encourage us. Father, you tell us that you never leave us and you never forsake us. That you never sleep and you never slumber. You're an amazing Father. Father, this morning I want to pray for those in the congregation whose hearts are hurting today because of um, this day that we as a country celebrate mothers. And I just pray for those that may be hurting in different ways. That, Lord... You, as the God of all comfort, as your word tells us, would comfort the hearts of those needing that today. And then, Lord, for those who are um, celebrating today and, and uh, with their moms, um, I just pray that, that it would be a good day. And that you would give a heart of appreciation to the children and to the young people here for um, their moms. And that uh, they would come to appreciate Uh, all that uh, mothers do. And Father, I just want to thank you that um, my mother uh, is with you. And I'm thankful that, um, Lord, one day because of my faith and what your son Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be reunited with my sister, my mom. So I just look forward to that day. Um, I pray that we all anticipate that and that, Lord, we would be faithful to disseminate uh, readily the gospel to those that we come in contact with. May today as we sing and as we hear your word, may we celebrate the fact that you love us and that you have our best in mind. And so we give you all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. 
And uh, well, we're not a thousand tongues, but we're uh, we're several hundred, and that's great. And so we can sound like a thousand tongues, right? As we sing and praise the Lord. So let's uh, let's sing. Oh, four thousand tongues to sing. <laughs> Thank you. 
our story is the fact that it's not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Let's sing this together. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Oh, the chains are released. 
Well, there's sometimes that you just wish they'd sing it again. And I could listen to that song two or three times in a row. Thank you, Ron, and thank you, choir, and thank you, Rachel. We don't forget those who accompany them. We appreciate what they do. If you're visiting with us today as a mother who's with her child, we welcome you and we're thankful that you're here with us uh, today. And if you are children who don't attend Grace, but you're here with your mom, we certainly uh, appreciate you being here and I know that your mother does as well. It's a special day and I trust that you'll enjoy that uh, together. This is not a message today about mothers. Um, I think when I was younger in the pastor, it always felt a little bit of pressure to preach a Mother's Day sermon or a Father's Day sermon. That's gone by the wayside. I don't feel that pressure. I'm open to whatever the Spirit leads me to do, but it was not to do a sermon on mothers today. Although I think there will be some application that may hit you as we think about some of these things. I want us to read the text that we're in so that we remember where we've been. And if you're visiting with us today, um, hopefully this reading will help you as I make a few comments about where we are. Because the question that lies before us, if we are in Christ is how is that spiritual growth piece going in your life? Would you say that you're a child? Would you say that you're a young man or a young woman? Or would you say that you are a father and or a mother looking at those as spiritual stages? It's important to consider that the Lord desires that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do know from the Bible. One of the things that I guess the Lord has been impressing on my heart recently, and a a pretty good amount this week, is that I stand and you sit. I'm here to open God's Word and to give it to you. Um, I can't make you receive what God says I can't change any of the wording that we have in front of us to make it more palatable. My responsibility is to discharge what's in front of me in order that we might all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are times when I think this is probably difficult to listen to. And it is probably difficult to hear the question, especially if you've been saved a period of time, How is that relationship going with the Lord? Are you growing in your fellowship with Him on a regular basis? And how would you assess where you are? It's important to do that. If you've ever coached a team, you assess your players. And some of them have a greater thought of themselves than you do. In fact, they might even walk up to you as a coach and say, Coach, why am I not starting? 
And you, as a coach, are put in a very difficult position to answer the question. And I think answering the question of where one is in their spiritual growth stage is very difficult to answer. Because it requires a sense of honesty. And one of the things that I will tell you right up front is that as I have evaluated my own life personally, I don't know that I'm a spiritual father. I don't know how you hear that. I don't know if that bothers you and you say, Thad, you need to resign today. Um, But as I looked at this text and I began to consider what a spiritual father is, and I considered all the churches that I've attended, I could only come up with a couple of handfuls of people. I don't know if that bothers you. It may. But as I began to read through and study, I began to think about, wow, spiritual father and the characteristics there are pretty daunting. Well, let's read it, and let's uh, ask the Father to help us. Begin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, and we said last week that that phrase, little children, refers to the believers as a whole. That the term John uses is used over and over again to refer to believers. And we looked at that, and if you weren't here last week, you'll see it on your sheet. There are examples there, but there are even more. Um, so it's a, it, it, the word little children there means born ones. Those who are born again is the idea. Those who have come into relationship with the Father. And that would apply to all who know the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord. So he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Um, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Then notice he says, I have written to you, children, different term. Different term from what he uses um, in verse 12. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. And the word children there has the idea of one who needs direction, one who needs instruction, one who needs to be developed. So it's in contrast to what he writes in verse 12 as he writes to his audience, the overall audience, whether they were children, young men, or fathers. He says, I've written to you, fathers, verse 14, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray uh, together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who leads us into all the truth. And as we assess this morning where we may be, I pray that you would help us to be honest. Help us to always know that as believers there is room for growth. And I pray that we would consider, even if one might consider themselves to be a spiritual father or mother today, that we would all consider that we must be teachable. Because there's always something to be reminded of or even something to learn for the very first time. Father, help us, we pray by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we left off with discussing 
what a child, second term there in verse 13, where he says, I've written to you children, what a spiritual child needs. And a spiritual child needs instruction. They need um, direction. They need to develop, as we've said, in their walk with the Lord. And so we broke that down and looked at some different areas that they needed to grow in. And even though um, at the end of verse 13, he's talking about um, a believer who needs to grow, I think the instruction, while it may not be new for all of us in here, is applicable. It's certainly something to think through. And so we went through a list, and as you know, we left off toward the end of the list. But that's okay, because we're back today and we can pick it up. Notice what I wrote here as it relates to Pideon, those who need instruction. They need to train their minds for godliness. And I gave you some scriptures there as it relates to what it means to live a godly life. What does it mean to live a godly life? And one of the most difficult things to begin um, with in infancy as you come to know Christ is that there is a great deal of discussion about the mind. That the Lord desires that our mind would be fixed and focused on the things above versus the things that are on the earth. You remember Paul writes about that in Colossians chapter 3 where he says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. That word set is a really important word. It means to fix or to concentrate. Now you think about just the word concentrate in our culture today. Concentrate for the next 40 minutes on what's being said. Easy to do? No. There are going to be many interruptions as you're sitting there. So when Paul says to the believers at Colossae to set their minds, to fix their minds on the things above, that's a discipline in the life of a believer. We're not going to do it apart from the Holy Spirit. We need his help to do it, but we must do it. We must set our minds on the things above And not on the things that are on the earth. And so we need to train our minds for godliness. Um, Paul reiterates that over and over and over again in the New Testament. As it relates to the mind of the believer. And so many things impact that. Just think by way of illustration. The things that you read on the internet. Does it impact you? Well, I would say it probably does. Um, If you still get a newspaper, does anybody get a newspaper? I get a newspaper. I don't have it delivered to my door, but I'll pick one up every once in a while because I want to know what's going on. Um, Sometimes I get tired of watching the news, but it's like one of those things that's right in front of me and I can read it. It does impact me. There are things through there that I remember. Um, you're, you're like that. That's why they put the most interesting story on the front page. They want you to remember it. Um, our minds are impacted. Even think about this. When you walk into a grocery store, they, they have those displays in the front for a reason. You know why, why they have it? 
so that as you're going through the store, let's just pretend that there are Oreo cookies. And, and, and you've got a list that your wife has given you, and you're work that list. And you're going around, and all you can think about is those Oreo cookies. But my wife didn't say, I can get those Oreo cookies. I was supposed to be on a diet. But you, you remember, right? I mean, we are in a very visual culture. And our minds are impacted every single day. And think about the young people today. They've never been without their phones. And they've had them. And they look at them constantly. And it's not wrong to have a phone, but it's important to understand, hey, we need to fix our mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So certainly one who comes to Christ and is a new believer needs to understand that, but Probably a good reminder for all of us, isn't it? The next one is as well, um, Pideon need not only um, to train their minds, but they need to give their body to the Lord. Now, that's a different message. Because in the culture, the message is, it's your body, do with it as you please. And so you know what the culture does? They do with their bodies as they please. But the reality is that the Lord has said that those who belong to him are to give their bodies to him. Um, This is a hard one to hear because we tend to um, just struggle with giving things. (laughs) I think every one of us does. But imagine a new believer... Receiving through discipleship the message you need to give your body to the Lord. They may have heard that at some point if they were sitting in a church service, but maybe didn't pay much attention to it. But for the believer who's been saved a while, they've heard the verses. Um, Well, the church in Corinth was a church that looked like to me as I read through the scriptures, especially in those letters, that they needed instruction, and it looks like they needed it over and over and over and over and over again, and they weren't really where they were supposed to be. As it relates to the body, listen to what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says to the believers in Corinth, Flee immorality. Run from it. It's in front of us all the time. Run from it. It's on your phones, young people. It's presented to all of us in different forms. And we understand the illustration from the Old Testament with Joseph that he literally ran. And so it's a good instruction It's short, but it's important. He says, flee immorality, run from it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Then he says to his audience, Christian audience, or do you not know that your body is a temple? We are a visible representation. Have you thought about that? 
Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. There's some great comfort there. Whom you have from God. When does that happen? When do you receive the Spirit? If you're relatively a new believer or hadn't heard this before. You receive the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. He enters you. He indwells you. You are no longer on your own. You have the power within you. And that's what he tells them. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And he says, because, or for, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. A child in the faith is going to understand they've been bought. They might not understand the complete implications of that, but they understand enough that they've trusted Christ. But as you come to the end of that verse, he says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Is that easy instruction to hear? I don't think so. Because we live in an independent culture and the mindset tends to be, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. But the reality is that as a believer, we have instruction, we have guidance as it relates to our bodies. Um, we sang a song when we were young, you know, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little feet where you go, right? There's just so much truth in that simple song. So as it relates to um, Pideon, they need to understand as, as believers, as children, some of these instructions that we've gone over. Which takes us back now as we transition back to um, his first usage of little children. And there is something here that we all need to remember. So remember, I want you to, to, to don't miss this. You have to know before you walk out of these doors today, when you come to verse 13 and he uses the word children, he's talking about those who need instruction But little children, in verse 12, he's talking to all believers. And as you read this um, sentence, all believers need to be reminded of this. This is something great to be reminded of. He begins to talk about the issue of forgiveness. You like forgiveness? If you're a believer, you like forgiveness. It's good to know that once you are in Christ, that never changes. And that's what he points out to his audience. He says, I am writing to you, little children, verse 12, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Um, there, is, there are three things here that I want us to look at as it relates to this issue of forgiveness. First of all, I wanted to make mention of the fact that this forgiveness that John is speaking of is judicial forgiveness. It's our standing before God. We stand righteous before God because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness at salvation. He clothes us with his righteousness. And so we stand before God innocent. Right? We stand before him free from the penalty of sin. 
So he talks about in this section uh, three things as it relates to forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin brings freedom. Um, The word forgive means to erase. It means to uh, put away. It means to remove. So at salvation, a believer is no longer under the penalty of sin. How does that sound to you? Because the wages of sin, according to the Bible, is death. It's separation from God. And so at the moment of salvation, one is brought into freedom because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, It brings a freedom to us. Now listen, it's important to understand this. It's not a freedom to behave as we want to behave. Okay, that's that's not... the point of forgiveness. The point of forgiveness is that we're no longer under the penalty of sin. Um, Kenneth Wiest, uh, excuse me, Kenneth, yeah, Kenneth Wiest in his um, commentary on this uh, section says about the Greek term uh, forgiveness. He says God for, God's forgiveness includes the putting away of our sins, their guilt defilement and penalty at the cross. It is freeing to know that once we are in Christ, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. That is freeing. Because those who do not believe are in chains. They're guilty. But if you're in Christ, I've got great news for you. You have been freed from the penalty of sin There are verses that tell us this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Rachel sang about that grace today. The forgiveness of our trespasses, our offenses. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul writes in a practical section, he says, Be kind to one another. He's talking there to believers, being kind to other believers, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Now, how's that to look? Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That puts a little meat to the bone, doesn't it? Forgive? Yes. How is one to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven us? How has he forgiven us? He died for us completely been erased beautiful beautiful reminders for all believers about the forgiveness of sin there's a hymn that is just excellent it's the third verse of the hymn it is well with my soul puts it pretty well my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. My grandfather, my grandpa Almond, he lived till he was 92. One of the visuals that I have of my grandfather in the last, oh, few years of his life 
every time he talked about the cross. And it, and it was a deep, it was just deep theology, but simple in expression. He would just grieve over the fact that how in the world, why in the world would Jesus die for me? But he did. He had two things by his chair. He had a Bible and he had a hymnal. And all those things that he would read to me were about the cross. You know, as we get older in, in the Christian life, and we begin to understand what Jesus has done for us, aren't we more appreciative? Aren't we more thankful? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. We must have sang that hymn in chapel at Southeastern Bible College a thousand times. I love listening to that hymn. It's great truth. So, the forgiveness of sins brings freedom. Secondly, we need to understand, as John is writing, the forgiveness of sin is forever. It's forever. As it relates to our standing before God judicially, it's forever. The forgiveness of sin is forever, meaning there is not a sin. Listen to this. Meaning there is no sin in a believer's life that erases their standing before God. How many people walk around in fear that as believers, well, maybe the Lord, how in the world could the Lord have forgiven me for this? One of the great lies of the enemy is that we're not completely forgiven, but we are. If you're in Christ today, you are forever forgiven. You stand righteous before God because of Jesus Christ. So the tense of the verb conveys that at some point in the past, one was judicially free from the penalty of sin and will remain forgiven. And that point in the past is when? At salvation. At salvation. Now look at these scriptures. Man, these scriptures ought to make you just want to leap and jump because it talks about what the Lord has done with our sins. Notice the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25 I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. There's an element of that that we cannot understand. We can't understand that. Can you understand that? I can't understand that. But I'm thankful for that. The author of Hebrews, going back to the Old Testament, he quotes, he says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Praise the Lord. Spurgeon was so confident in the forgiveness of the Lord, he was quoted as saying, 
about his salvation that he could grab onto a corn stalk and swing over the fires of hell, look into the face of the devil and sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You know, it's not, and this needs to be said, it's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in Christ. So, well, always the forgiveness forever. But the forgiveness, and he points it out here in the verse, is not because of any worth in man. It's not about man. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And then Peter in Acts chapter 10 verse 43 says, Of him all the prophets, meaning Christ, bear witness that through his name, his name, everyone who, listen to this, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Straight from the book. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. When was that day for you? When was that moment for you? Is it a good question to ask? It is a good question. Are you free today? Do you know that freedom? Do you know for certain that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? Even later in uh, John, in this, in this epistle, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It is Jesus Christ the Lord. Stephen Cole, I love what he says, Forgiveness of sins is for his name's sake. Not for anything man has done or can do. You know, guys, so that when we come to our times of worship, this is how that practically looks. When we come to our times of worship, it's not about man. It's about Jesus Christ. So the centerpiece in any worship service should be the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the one standing behind the lectern or the choir or the praise team. It's about coming together to worship the one and the only one that deserves glory and honor and praise. That's a pretty good reminder, isn't it, for all believers? Well, we come to the next section. Well, before we do that, this is another hymn. I was on hymns this last week. This is expressed really well in the hymn, The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And listen to this. All other ground is sinking sand. Now we transition I'm glad we didn't leave that out. This is all of us need to consider verses 13 and 14. Because he talks about fathers and he talks about young men. We've already dealt with the children and the contrast between the terms. But we want to consider now verses 13 and 14 as it relates to fathers. Verse 13, he says, I am writing to you fathers because you know him. Now, there's discussion among theologians as to that pronoun, him. Who's he talking about? 
Most theologians believe the distinction here is between the pronoun him and the use of father in a couple of these verses, that him there refers to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that when you go through 1 John, uh, typically John uses uh, Father or God when referring to the first person of the Trinity. But when you get to the second person of the Trinity, he uses a lot of times, if he doesn't use Jesus Christ or Christ, he'll use the pronoun him. I think that's what he's doing here. Because I think there's a distinction that John draws between children that know the Father, and fathers that know the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Thad, you're splitting hairs. No, not really. Because one of the things that you come to understand as a believer is that, um, and it appears in Ephesians 1, where we understand that God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it relates to salvation. So I don't think this is um, in any way an error to look at this as the second person of the Trinity. Although if you don't make that distinction, I would make that distinction. So he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know, Gnosko, you're close to him, who has been from the beginning. And remember, we talked about that word beginning Uh, We said it referred to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. So John, I think, is making the distinction between the children and the fathers as part of his instruction and part of the identity that children have come into a relationship with the father. They're close to him in fellowship. But when it comes to Uh, Fathers, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I refer back to my grandfather. Because at the end of his life, he talked over and over and over again about the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, as a person grows in relationship, don't they come to understand better the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you consider his incarnation, uh, his virgin birth, uh, his life lived on earth. And you begin to understand, hey, he was guilty of nothing, and yet he stretched out his arms in love and took it all. And even the most difficult of things, he was separated for a period of time from his father. So, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, I've had people ask me over the years, Dad, how do you get to know him better? It's a simple answer. Read the book. Read the Gospels. Plant yourself in the Gospels to appreciate the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are just a couple of comments as it relates to the verse itself. Um, The word for fathers refers to those who are spiritually mature in this context. Those who are spiritually mature. Look what Harry Ironside wrote about spiritual maturity as it relates to fathers. He says, there are not many fathers in the faith. (laughs) When I read that, I was like, I don't know that I've really considered that a whole lot. But I was forced to when I read that quote. And I liked it, so I put it down there for you. There are not many fathers in the faith. 
There are many who have been saved a great many years, but are spiritually dwarfed because they give so little attention to spiritual things. Which brings us back to the question, how much time do we give to spiritual things? I wrote down, and I didn't, I didn't want to embarrass anyone here or call out anyone here when thinking of spiritual fathers or some in this room. But I was thinking about my life and my exposure to spiritual fathers. I want you to think about that question. In your life, how many spiritual fathers or mothers have you been exposed to? I'm talking about godly people who are concerned and who give great attention to spiritual things. I wrote down the first man that came to my mind, and it, it, it took me all the way back to Lake Charles Bible Church in Louisiana. Um, his name was Brother Burt Morgan. My dad's here today, and my dad knows or knew Brother Burt Morgan. Um, what a man. The only thing is whenever the Brother Lane would ask him to close in prayer, be prepared. You're standing there for 10 minutes. But you, you just felt like, man, I've just been lifted up into the presence of the Lord. Um, Brother Burt was important. You know what he did, took time to do? And I think spiritual fathers and mothers do this. They don't overlook anyone. They see everybody. I was a kid for most of the time I knew Brother Burt. Always that man came up to me, put his arm on me. Son, are you living for the Lord? I'd be like, didn't hardly ever say much. Son, are you living for the Lord? There's another man later in my life when I was in my 20s, early 20s, late, actually late teens, early 20s, named Thomas Morris. And he was a pastor in a small town called Pottsville, Arkansas. If you blink, you're through the town. But that man was a godly man. That man was a man that I learned from just by the things that he did, just by his life. I remember one time he took me on a visit, and I was preparing for the ministry. I was working as an intern, thanks to my grandmother and only my grandmother. Um, but as I was working with Brother Morris, I remember we got in a car one day, and he said, Dad, we're going to go to these folks' house, and um, you're not going to like the house a whole lot. And I was like, okay. And he said, but you need to know that everybody doesn't always keep their house the same. I thought, okay, well, I, wouldn't, I didn't know what to expect. So we get out of the car and we walk in the house and I'm like, whoa. He warned me before we went in, only drink what is hot. But it introduced me to the fact that this man, he didn't pick and choose. God had given him a flock of people. And not necessarily everybody lived up to, quote, his standard. But he saw the whole. And he wanted to minister to the whole. Well, my list goes on and on. Um, I'm not going to mention everyone, but there's several that I wrote down here. And in that list, there are women. But there's one that, 
She was a spiritual giant in my eyes, and that was my mother. And the one thing, and I know I've told you this before, but the one picture I have of my mom is her always being in the Word, sitting at the end of the couch, reading the Word, reading the Word, reading the Word. When I was going through my mom's things, some of her things, um, I remembered that one time I took a Bible from her. I was in college, and I liked the Bible that she had, and I wanted to bring it from Louisiana to Alabama. And on the inside, it had Mary Ellen Blunt, and I just added the words to her son, Thad Blunt. And, um, <laughs> and I took it to college. She forgave me. But she was quite a woman. She loved the Lord. Well, there's some things I wrote down about fathers that um, I want us to consider uh, as we come toward the end of our time. But there's several things I wanted to point out. Um, first of all, the ones who um, know the Lord Jesus intimately, as John expresses, are fathers. He says the same thing about children, but he says it in relationship to the second person in the Trinity with fathers. They know the Lord Jesus. They're close to the Lord Jesus. Um, they are those who are able to discern truth from error. We live in a culture where we need those fathers to speak as it relates to truth and error. What is true and then what is false? There is so much out in our culture today that is false. You think about the young people are so inundated with false messages. It's important that as spiritual fathers and mothers, we speak into the lives of these children. Um, the third thing is they are those who consistently apply the knowledge gained from the Word. It's one thing for a, a godly man or, or woman to raise their hand and say, I have a lot of knowledge, but it's another thing when you take what you learn and you apply it to your life. How many of you like to learn? Sure. Right? But application is where the issue is so many times in our lives as Christians. Um, fourthly, they are those who typically have positions of authority in the church. I won't say that's true all the time. That's why I wrote who typically do. They have positions of authority in the church. Um, they are those who give spiritual guidance to people. Um, I would add to just one thought there. They aren't afraid of the truth. Does that make sense? In other words, they're going to tell you the truth. Some of my spiritual fathers have told me at times things I really didn't want to listen to when they were saying it, but I needed to hear it. So they typically have positions of authority in the church. Uh, again, as it relates to fathers, we're talking about spiritual fathers and mothers here. Um, they are those who are able to methodically disciple younger men or women. <clears throat> I put methodically because that's what discipleship is. It's a methodical approach. Let me illustrate it through uh, Teresa's shopping. Teresa likes to shop. That's my wife, in case you're visiting. She likes to shop a good bit. And one of the things that I learned early on and I haven't shopped with Teresa a bunch. I, I'm just 
honest about that. I asked her to please deliver me of it. Um, but she goes into a store like Belk, okay, or a store like Walmart. And now with the grandkids, I mean, she's just got so many things she's looking at. But she'll go to a rack, and she'll look at everything in the rack. And then she'll go to another rack, and she'll look at everything in that rack. And then she'll go to another rack, and it's like, pick up something. But what she's doing is she's methodically going through all of those racks and memorizing, memorizing the things. And some of the ladies here have shopped with her, and they know. Memorizing the things that she wants to go back to. It drives me out of my mind. I love my wife. But she's methodical. I'll never forget the day that my middle son, Micah Jonathan Blunt, went with me to a store. I wanted to buy some pants. He's about 11 or 12 years old. And we walk into the store, and I go to the rack, and I pull off the pants. I'm like, yep, I like those. I walk out of the store. I go to the truck. I get in the truck. And my little Micah, who's not, he, at the time, he's still not, he's not exactly the talker of the family. He sits there and he looks at me and he says, hey, Dad. I said, yes, son. He said, do I ever have to go shopping with Mom again? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, honey. <laughs> but a methodical approach to discipleship which means going through the doctrines of Scripture. Okay, do you hear that D word, the doctrines of Scripture, with the person that you're discipling? Because they're going to run into questions that they can't answer. And so that person needs to be methodical, and they typically are. They are those who have prioritized assembling together. We talked a lot about that last week, so we won't rehearse that again. But they prioritize it. it, it it's... It's something regular. It's a habit in their life. They know the importance of being together with other believers. Um, this is a huge one. They are those who grant forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. Have you ever been in a situation where Persons come to you, and it's been years since the offense, and they come to you and they say, I need forgiveness. You ever had that happen to you? I've had it happen to me. Had it happen to me not too, too long ago. By the way, um, I hope this comes out right, but who are we as Christians that we can't forgive? Because we've been forgiven. But also spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers ask for forgiveness. That's hard to do. But it's important, I believe, as a mature believer, that one would have that quality that they ask for forgiveness. I learned that through some of my spiritual fathers who taught me that. I'll never forget one of them that I look up to. He said, Dad, there are times in the ministry where you're going to have to ask for forgiveness 
even when you may think you're right. I'm like, no, that'll never happen. Happens. It happens. So it's one who grants forgiveness and asks for forgiveness. They're those who remain teachable throughout their Christian life. They don't throw their hands up as spiritual fathers and mothers and go, all done. But they're constantly learners, constantly learners. They're teachable. They don't have the attitude of arriving. And then the last one. They're those who are available to pass on wisdom. And I worded it that way because they aren't the ones that break through the circles or the crowds and say, listen to me. Listen to the voice of wisdom. Because the spiritual father and mother I've found over the years are those who are humble. But they're available to pass on wisdom. And they have it and we need to listen. I like what C.S. Lewis said about wisdom. Oh my goodness. Just as I am. I don't know if he said that or not. <laughs> Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about wisdom. He says, The next best thing to being wise is to live in a circle of those who are. I read a story of a student who was at a renowned Bible college. And every single day during lunch, he would go and sit at the end of the professor's table. So all these college professors are on this table. And at the end, there were two or three seats that were always empty. And he would go every single day that he ate lunch on campus, and he would sit at the end of the table. No one ever bothered him. The professors never said anything to him until one day. He takes his tray and he's sitting at the end of the table and all these professors with all these degrees are sitting there and they're hobnobbing and talking theology and, and he's sitting at the end of the table and one of the professors, as he's going to put his tray up, walks by the young man and he says... Son, why do you feel the need to sit at the end of the table every day and not be with your peers? And the young man looked at him and he said, Sir, I need wisdom. I thought, man, when I read that, I'm like, that's right. We need wisdom. And wisdom is within this circle of those who are spiritual fathers and mothers. And I would tell the young ones in here who are saved, you can't surround yourself enough with those people. One of the things I enjoyed about Southeastern Bible College, and Dr. Hughley and George know this to be true, one of the things that the professors did that I really, really appreciated, they were always available. And during lunchtime, they wouldn't just sit amongst themselves and talk the deep things of life. They would sit among the students and be the wisdom that the students needed to have. 
Are you a spiritual father or mother today? Do you know who those people are in your life? Because I would encourage you that if you're not able to list those people, think through that, pray through that, but surround yourself with those people who are able to give you wisdom and remind you of the things that God has already said. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Father, we are thankful that when we come to your word, you have the wisdom that we need. Those who may be young in the faith or those who have been saved for a while but have not grown a lot in their faith, um, they need instruction. They need wisdom that comes from you. And Father, I pray that, that you would impress upon the hearts of all those who would consider themselves this morning to be spiritual children, redeemed, but needing to grow, that you would impress upon their hearts to spend time with those who are wise in the faith, who have been saved and come through the things in the Christian life that are hard, because there are many hard things in the Christian life. I pray you would impress upon them the importance of spending time with those people. Help them, Lord, I know it's a real practical prayer. Help them not to be intimidated by that. Um, But help them, Lord, to, to seek these people out. And I pray as spiritual fathers and mothers uh, in here that uh, those who are, that they would seek out the young men and the children who need their encouragement. Lord, I pray that today uh, we would um, enjoy the time of fellowship you give us before we leave the building. And that, Lord, as we consider where we are in the spiritual stages, as we're yet to come to young men, I pray that as we look at that next week, I pray that we would consider whether or not um, uh, we are spiritual children, spiritual fathers, and as we'll look at next week, spiritual young men. Help us to understand where we are. Help us to be honest so that we might grow further in the grace and knowledge of your truth. Um, Again, thank you for our mothers. And I pray, Lord, that um, today would be a special day for all those moms in here and for the children that are here. Uh, They would just have a great day together and enjoy the time that you give us because every single day is just um, your grace. And so we commit ourselves to you uh, as we um, sing this last song together in the name of Christ. Amen. So thankful this morning that as we come before the Lord, we come to him just as we are. There's not anything special we have to do because everything has been done. It is finished. And that's what this song is. We've sung many, many times in the past. Many of us have. is a form of invitation. But whenever we come before the Lord, we come to him just as we are. And we come broken, become wounded, become desperate, become empty. And we need to allow the blood of Christ to cover all of that. I want to ask you to stand. It's a slow song, but let's stand. Let's sing just as I am.
bow your head and just um, close your eyes and I'm going to ask Linda if she'd just play through a little bit of that and um, just maybe give you an opportunity to respond to to that song, to the message to what the Lord is doing in your life. You may be one here who does not know the Lord. Um, I came to know the Lord when I was seven years old. I'd heard the gospel many times by that age but um, Phil Newsom was faithfully um, giving me the gospel when I prayed to receive Christ when I was seven years old. Um, I don't know if you know him today, but if you don't, it's a great time, great day to, for salvation. If you do know him, but you're kind of stuck in terms of your growth spiritually, you just want to pray, somebody to pray for you, I'd love to do that with you. So I know we don't do this a lot here at Grace, but um, I just feel impressed to do that this morning. So if you just bow as Linda place for just a minute. If you'd like to come up, I'd love, love to talk to you. Father, you know the hearts of everyone in here. You know the ones that belong to you, and you know the ones that do not. And there may be some who didn't come up this morning because of different reasons, and um, I just pray you give them the freedom to be able to seek me out or to seek others out um, that they know belong to you if they need to know you. Um, and they don't. And then maybe some who just need encouragement in their walk with you, that you would lead them to seek out a person of wisdom that might be able to help them in their journey, in their personal journey uh, with you. Father, make us keenly aware of the opportunities that you give us to speak for you. And may we do that in love yet with boldness because we know that there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ.
May he be praised. And it's in his name that we have said all these things. Amen. You are dismissed.